0: As a minor league mascot, I've had my share of accidents. Backwards trip into the dugout, the beer spill electrical incident, the inhaled peanut. So I'm glad I have Blue Shield.
1: Good morning and welcome to episode 415 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. In 20 minutes, Nick will be talking to Dylan Hernandez, the excellent beat writer for the Los Angeles Times, who covers the Dodgers. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, we will be talking to Doug Thorburn, uh, baseball prospectus author, as well as the uh, writer of the Dodgers comments in this year's annual. Um, Doug, how are you? I'm doing really well. Stoked for the season to start. Yeah, well, it already started. That's true, especially <laughs> yeah. for the Dodgers. For the Dodgers, yeah. I was hoping you would know that because it would be awkward <laughs> if we were here talking about the Dodgers and you were unaware of the two games that they played that count. Um,
2: yeah, I, I happen to notice. I may have been watching, you know.
1: Good. So, um, so you're the last. Uh, you're the last writer that we've talked to in the 30 teams. Dodgers have the best projection of the 30, and so we're talking to you last. And I wanted to ask you. A couple years ago, maybe last year, Jeff Sullivan wrote a post about the Astros being the worst team ever projected, like in the projection era, uh, where projections tend to be fairly conservative. No team had ever projected to be as bad as the Astros going into a season, um, and I don't know if that's true of the Dodgers. I mean, Picota's Pekoda, methods change from year to year, so it's not easy to compare necessarily year to year but the Dodgers are eight games better than the next best team they're projected to win 99 games which is staggering Um, and you know if you look at the individual projections when you run the Sims you see years of 110 wins 111 wins I mean some really freakishly high numbers Um, so is this the best team that is I mean you know that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win 111 games but is this the best team we've seen put together in quite some time
2: no I don't think so. <laughs> All
1: right, good. I, I just think it's <laughs> high
2: volatility. There, there's a lot that can go wrong here. A lot that can go right. I think the upside definitely surpasses anybody else in in the league. But uh, there's a lot of question marks with this team, and so I've I have a hard time saying for sure that this is this is the best team out there, bar none.
1: So tell me, what are your like like? Give me your top three question marks. If, if you were uh, ranking the question marks by questionability, what would be your top three?
2: Uh, well, they're counting on high-volatility players to do well. I mean, whether it's Sandy Ramirez, who has had kind of the, the ping-pong thing going on with his performance or even his games played, you know, we're expecting Yasiel Puig to be insane, but do we really know what he's going to be and how that's going to translate to the field? Um, I mean, the pitching staff is legit, so that's not really a question. But I think Matt Kemp is one of the biggest wild cards in the game. He's already slowed by his offseason surgeries. He's, he had multiple off-season surgeries. So I just feel like the key players for this team are—they're all over the place as far as expected outcomes. So that those are my questions. Really, it comes down to the offense, and also a team that's starting Juan Uribe and D. Gordon creates question marks on its own.
3: There's are some good question
2: marks. I
3: question those things as well. Yeah, um, I do
1: too. Not so it.
3: someone asked me today about uh, which Dodgers outfielder was most likely to be traded this season, and my position over the winter when everyone was talking about which Dodgers outfielder would be traded was that there was no Particular reason for the Dodgers to trade any of their outfielders unless they were all healthy at full strength and full value And maybe one of them didn't really like being on the bench all the time Um, So so far it seems to have paid off that they have held on to all of them Uh, Matt Kemp is still not quite ready is there a point during the season? Do you think that they would feel comfortable enough to deal one of these guys?
2: I don't really think so. I think b- between the injury issues and also that they're carrying a couple of guys who are uh, basically allergic to left-handed pitchers. I mean, between Ethier and Crawford, so they-, they have a lot of strategic reasons to be carrying. For um, I understand the the contract motivation, but it, it- they're basically going to have to take you know ten cents on the dollar as far as on-field value, and they or they're probably going to have to pay a huge chunk of the salary for anybody they would be looking to deal, yeah. assuming you know, Puig's not going to be part of that calculus. So um, I have a hard time seeing the upside and they're wanting to or even having a reason to deal a guy. It actually kind of reminds me of a year ago. Everyone was talking about how the Dodgers had too many pitchers and they needed to deal one. Then right away, they had a couple guys get hurt. So I think it's the same kind of thing where depth is their strength right now. And they should just go ahead and ride that strength, especially given the weakness on their infield. I mean, I think they're going to need it, and you know the finances aren't as big of an issue for them as they would be for someone else, so might as well take advantage of that.
1: Is Van Slyke any sort of a, an option as far as depth goes? I mean, if they traded one of those outfielders and Van Slyke became the fourth outfielder, would that just be <clears throat> them living in terror in, uh, in anticipation of him having to play, or is he a quality fourth outfielder?
2: He's actually a perfect compliment for them because he's he rips on lefties, so uh, he's a good compliment for Ethier and Crawford. So I think he actually makes a lot of sense on that roster,
1: but not as a starter. Is that is that is that? Not fair? as an
2: everyday guy. I'm you know I'm a big fan of platoons and playing the ideal lineup each day. I, I again I think he allows them to create optimal lineups when left-handed pitchers are on the mound, um, especially if they're not going <laughs> to let salary influence their their decisions too much. Um, So I I think he fits in really well. Uh, Also the fact that he can play a little bit of first base and Adrian's another lefty, not that he has problems with lefties necessarily, but um, I just think he fits the roster well. So I I don't think they'd be crushed if they were playing him a decent chunk, but he's not necessarily your ideal everyday guy, especially for a team that's playing, you know, paying 15 plus million for three of their outfielders. So
3: the, the Puig saga seems to have picked up right where it left off. Uh, He had, uh, hitless first game, I guess, in Australia and and looked sort of bad and everyone was worried about how he'd be after also a week spring training. And then uh, he went on to get a few hits in the second game, but he also made some some mental mistakes. How is this going to end, do you think? Is he, I mean, is it going to get to the point where he, he plays himself off this team or will he eventually just sort of, you know, learn just like any rookie learns and and a decade from now, we'll be talking about Yasiel Puig, veteran mentor.
2: I, I think that it's going to be a process. I mean, maybe that's kind of the cop-out answer. But with he's really young, and he's obviously not the most responsible guy in the world. But there's also an energy to what he brings to the field. And it, it's one of those things where when he's going right, the players on his team love him. And when he's going wrong and he's making boneheaded mistakes like he was on the bases the other day in Australia... I mean, his team is not going to be on his side, and I know he had a, a big run-in with Adrian Gonzalez, and they were yelling at each other back and forth in Spanish after I think it was the the second boneheaded base running play. Um, and, and I think that's going to be part of the learning curve. And his talent is such that they're going to take that, they're going to accept that. It's, I don't think he's going to play himself off the team. It's a bit of an extra headache, but what you get out of it, you're willing to have that trade-off overall. And and I do think that there's there's perks to that excitement. I mean, he really brings a positive energy to the team. Um, and he just needs to learn how to harness it and control it. And I think they have the right manager to do so with Mattingly. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of veteran presence on that team. So hopefully he figures it out and he calms down. But uh, at the same time, I don't want him to calm down completely. What, what I don't want to see is, I mean, like that first uh, base running mistake, he basically was thinking double. It was it was amazing how long it took him to realize that uh, that Owings was running at him. I mean, it, it was as if he was oblivious to the fact that there was a cutoff on the play. And so part of it is a focus on the field, and I do think he that's something he, that he needs because there are times where he plays like he's just not really paying enough attention. So that's going to hopefully come over with time, and, and having the veteran presence they do on that team I think will help because he's going to respect the voices of the guys talking to him.
3: Do you, do you think it's a purely an inexperienced issue, or is it, some failing in, in baseball instincts that is inherent to some degree? I mean, can you, can you just school this out of him completely? Or, you know, even after he's been in the league for a few years, do you expect him to just kind of do something ill-advised now
2: and then? I think it's more personality than anything. Um, so in that sense, I, there will always be maybe an element of it, but I do expect it to improve. Um, I'm not sure how much of it is is pure baseball instincts and how much of it is he's he can be just standoffish at times. I mean, there there's a report about him in spring training and they were doing drills and he was basically making a mockery of the pop up drills. And, uh, you know, to me, that's part of the maturity aspect. And there's a fine line between having a good time and enjoying yourself and being detrimental to the ball club. So if he was on a really young rookie team, I think it would take longer for him to learn that lesson. But given the organization he's in and you know, the pressures to succeed and to win especially with all the money invested I hope that'll be the right environment for him but time will definitely tell
1: so you talked about his high volatility um, and we've seen him now for for still less than a year and it's been um, you know a, a monster year and, and a lot of great things and even when he even when it, he sort of cooled down he still demonstrated you know a, a pretty good um, you know certainly above average major league skill set so do you see like do, do you have a, an idea of what his floor is could be I mean if everything goes 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 to hell and, and he hits like this serious sophomore slump. What is kind of the worst that we could expect from from him, do you think?
2: Uh, the worst would be if, you know, pitchers really start exploiting him with breaking balls. I mean he's such a fastball hitter. That was part of the idea of having him hit leadoff was he's gonna see more fastballs. If he becomes, you know, really susceptible to the breaking ball, um such so said his average is craters, you know, I mean he has the bat speed. The bat is legit. I think the is legit. His bat to ball skills are excellent but if he has a bad run of things where the pitchers adjust to him quicker than he can adjust to the pitchers I could see uh, you know maybe a 250 260 batting average and if he doesn't he if he doesn't walk enough if he's hacking at everything then we could be looking at a you know like a 310 320 OBP um, and that low average is going to bring down everything so it, I, I think the power will always be there I think long term his his bat to ball skills are excellent but he could definitely go through some growing pains. And that's where I say he's, I feel like he's very volatile for this season. It's hard to say exactly what he's going to become because we've already seen, I mean, you know, the first month and a half last year, he didn't walk at all, but he didn't need to, he's hitting like 450. So who cares? But then as he started to taper off a little bit, he also started, you know, becoming a little bit more patient. So I, I do think with him, there's a huge adjustment period and it's easy to just look at the Ross talent, the the five tools and say, wow. You know this guy has such extreme potential, but at the same time, he does need to adapt that on the field. I feel like, you know, one of the, one of the sort of traps we all fall into as analysts is to think it's kind of the true talent idea that this player, this is who this guy is, and he's always just sort of regressing towards that true talent. Um, I believe that true talent is really dynamic, and so for someone like him, it it could go through a roller coaster scenario until it starts to stabilize a bit.
1: So Clayton Kershaw's been uh, already dealing with uh, with back spasms. I think is the it's, it's back spasms, right? It's back pain or neck pain or something, right? Back spasms. Yeah,
2: it's like an it, it's an inflammation of a back muscle. So right. you know, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So
1: that's so that's established. So uh, so Kershaw's been uh, you know among other things besides being the best pitcher in the game, he's been uh, phenomenally healthy and has made it through the uh, so-called injury nexus without any injuries. Um, and so you're the guy that we go to to find out whether a pitcher's mechanics are uh, good or bad and suggest that he's uh, you know going to have Tommy John next year or not. Uh, So what are, what are Kershaw's mechanics like? What, what score, what grades do you give his mechanics? And, and is the fact that he's been phenomenally healthy to this point in his career, um, uh, you know, a stroke of luck or is this really part of, uh, you know, the, 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 consequence of the way he throws
2: his mechanics are really interesting, especially his, his pace to the plate. He's got like three speeds to the plate. It's, it's not anything I would teach anybody. Um, and in fact, it really got in the way of his ability to repeat his release point and, uh, it really affected his, his pitch command early in his career. I mean, the guy, he has he has a good kind of first move. He leads with the hip at first uh, during the leg lift. But then he completely halts his momentum as he brings the foot down. It almost looks like he's going to hes gonna balk or he's going to go ahead and stick the foot down with zero stride. And then he lurches forward, and he has actually a, a good lunge at the end. Um, and that's the type of thing that is really hard to harness. And it, it's not the type of thing that I would ever teach anybody to do, again, but – but he's the type that now that he has it mastered and he has his timing mastered, I, I really like it. Um, other than that, he's, he's really improved all the elements of his, his mechanics over time. I mean, this is a guy who his posture gets better every single season. Um, his pitch repetition gets better every year. Also, his torque is getting better, his, his efficiency of torque, because he used to be what I call a hip whip guy, where the hips and shoulders fire almost in unison um, and now he's getting more of that separation where he waits until after foot strike to get the, the upper half going. So to me, his efficiency just gets better every season. When you look at the guys who have been the most successful over time, the, you know, some of the, the legends of the game, these are guys who continually improve their, their deliveries over time. So I think uh, in the recent starting pitcher, pitcher guide, I gave him a B uh, for his mechanics, and everything was average of, or above. The only thing that really stood out was his consistency. And it's amazing that he can make that consistency work, but he's honed it now, he's, he's definitely got it down. So I'd, his mechanics aren't necessarily a huge point in his favor, but it's not a detriment either. Um, the only concern is that he uses some, he still uses a lot of hips in his delivery, and so when he had that hip injury uh, end of 2012, I felt that was kind of connected to his inefficiency of torque. So it's nice to see him kind of clean that that part up. Um, that said, I am a little bit worried based on, uh, that first game, his velocity was really down. He was sitting like 87 to 89. I think he spiked 91 once or twice Threw a couple fastballs that were 86. That's usually his changeup speed, you know? So, um, and at, at first you really I thought believe,
1: maybe, do you, yeah, do you believe that gun? Cause I mean, everybody was low. It's, I mean, we're not used to radar guns, right? I mean, we're so used to pitch FX Now radar guns have a, a lot of sort of inconsistency. I, I just sort of by the third inning, I just had decided everybody was, was uh, it was getting low readings.
2: I was thinking the same thing at first actually watching the game I mean Miley was off by a couple miles an hour he was throwing you know a lot of 88s and 89s and I thought Brian, it was a- Brian
1: Wilson top ninety once I think
2: yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's why I was thinking at first and you throw in the fact that it's early spring and guys' velocity tends to get higher into, as the weather gets warmer um, and also it, this is really early spring and um, you know all these elements, the long travel, all these things that can get in the way it just makes me kind of raise an eyebrow. But the one thing that made me think maybe the guns weren't off so much was kenley jansen was spiking 94 95 like it was nothing you know so yeah yeah so i'm not totally sure i I have no idea to what extent those guns were real and like you said we don't have pitch effects for those games so it's hard to know exactly but it's just one of those things that i'm going to keep an eye on and then to hear oh he's had some some back inflammation afterwards i don't necessarily know if that was related but it is worth keeping an eye on but his breaking stuff is so nasty it didn't really matter he was (laughs) the only guy you could really hit him was goldschmidt so
3: and uh, you know the Dodgers haven't really been known for for cost efficient signings over the last couple of years, but <laughs> but one one move they made that did seem to be pretty widely re- regarded as as smart and and possibly getting someone at a below market deal was was the Dan Heron deal. Um, what do you see out of him? What do you expect out of him? He was obviously pretty good in the the second half last year. Are you expecting to see second half Heron for for this full season or? Uh, some sort of regression there.
2: He has. He's another one of those guys. He's highly volatile. I have no idea until he really gets on the mound in a non-spring situation, and I can get an idea of of what he looks like overall. I'm, I'm optimistic because he, his really rough season. He was dealing with low back issues and his delivery. He has this extreme pause in the delivery, almost the MPB style pause, and uh, you know, combine that with a low back issue, and you can see where that would be sort of exacerbated. So I, I think that one year was thrown off by the injuries a little bit. I overall, I think, like you said, it was a very cost-effective signing. It's like one year, ten million, something like that. So, um, I I think that was a very shrewd move for them. And you can never have too much pitching depth, as they kind of proved last year.
1: <laughs> so uh, I mentioned Brian Wilson, but um, you know we haven't seen a lot of him. I think he pitched 13 innings last year, and then we saw him in the postseason, and then we've seen him make one appearance. Uh, do you have a read on, on sort of uh, how he's come back from his surgery, whether he's uh, all the way back or whether he's you know kind of the same pitcher he used to be? Or I guess maybe the the easiest way to ask this question is, do you think he's one of the 30 best relievers in the game right now?
2: I don't. I, watching him last year, I mean, the velocity, I don't expect it to come back to his peak form. It was back to pre-surgery levels, which is good. Um, he's throwing a whole lot of cutters, though. And uh, what I really noticed was he was just living on the outside edge to batters on both sides. He was going arm side to lefties. He was going glove side to righties. And that might work for a little while, you know, 18-inning stint. But after a while, guys are going to pick up on that. And if he's just living on the batter weakness side and kind of the Tom Glavin approach, he doesn't really have the repertoire to make the Tom Glavin approach work. So I definitely don't consider him one of the top 30 relievers. And it'll be interesting really to see if he adjusts this year now that he's further removed from, from the surgery and everything um the beer only going to intimidate so long so I, I feel like there's there's definitely a uh, there's so many guys on this team where I feel like I have to wait and see and, and see what shows up this year
3: what about the rest of the bullpen uh it's gotten a lot of attention just because of how many guys who have gotten saves at some point in their career are in there um is this going to be a bullpen that that earns a, a nickname
2: at some point this year I think so. They have a lot of great arms in that bullpen. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Paco Rodriguez. I think he's excellent. Um, I like that league is almost an afterthought. I mean, you got guys like J.P. Howell, who... I mean, his... When he really ramps it up, he ends up essentially falling over and bracing himself with his, with his glove. I mean, it's there's a lot of character, a lot of personality on this team. Uh, you know, the Chris Perez signing just adds more. I think uh, Chris Withrow could be their second best reliever in the pen by the end of the season. There, there's a lot to like here. So... Um, I, I could definitely see a, a catchy name for these guys being the end of the year. Uh,
1: do you have a Do you have a catchy <laughs> name for them? I think we should establish one.
2: Just keep waiting. <laughs> Not off the top of my head, and it takes me way too long to come up with uh, clever article titles. It would probably take me another forty five minutes to even come up with something halfway decent. Uh, right. Sam, you come up with one while I ask this question. Um,
3: <laughs> uh, so the AP reported yesterday that uh, the Dodgers will officially have the highest payroll in baseball breaking the Yankees' 15-year streak at the top. I guess it was pretty close last year, but uh, but this I've year... I've got
1: the- it. I've got it. I've got it.
3: <laughs> okay, I've what
1: got is got it? it? This might not make sense to people elsewhere, but Blue Shield of California. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> it is pretty good. Okay, keep thinking. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the Dodgers officially have the highest payroll in baseball, and what I am wondering is... Are we going to see them have the highest payroll in baseball indefinitely? Are they going to pursue the Yankees model of just sort of signing the best free agents available and, and keeping things going that way or have the the sort of noises they've made about wanting to commit to player development and building from within, uh, how serious is that? What, what do you expect? Is this the Red
2: Sox model going forward or is it the Yankees model? I think it's the Dodgers model, and the Dodgers model is they've already committed so many millions to Crawford and Ethier and Adrian and Kershaw and Greenkey. They're they're going to be on the top of the the payroll field for a while just because of that. And I find it really interesting. With the, the reason I call it the Dodger model is they've they're not really doing it based on free agents. They've they've been taking on other people's bad contracts, and I. I the big thing is we'll see if they re-sign Hanley for uh, a real handsome reward or not. But I think that could become their model, especially with free agency really dwindling and and seeing fewer and fewer big names on the market. I think we could see them making more of the trades that we saw. I mean, then who knows? Next team up could be Toronto. They'll go ahead and uh, <laughs> take Reyes off their hands. Maybe Edwin. You know, they'll take a couple guys that. Um, that are decent performers, maybe not earning their contracts and whatnot. So I think that's kind of the way the Dodgers are going to go about things. They've got money to spend. I think that's their biggest uh, asset going into the season, that is that they can make deals, they can basically have a sideways eight in their bank account and uh, patch up any mistakes that, or things that may occur during the season.
1: Is that the, would you say that's the best way to do it? If you're, if you're a team capable of spending a hundred million more than any other team, is that the best way to do it or, or if you had their, their payroll, uh, would you do it differently? I mean is this – I I asked you at the beginning if this is the best team that we've seen put together in, in many years. I guess is this the best a team can be put together at this point in time with so few players hitting free agency? Uh,
2: it really depends on your interpretation of, of best. I mean their top you know, young guys Puig who they bought in the international market. I mean – there, there's not a whole. I'm not seeing a whole lot from the player development side. I mean, they've got some decent young players on the way up, um, but overall, I mean, it's they have to be pretty happy that Hanley bounced back and was able to be uh, productive. I mean, I, I don't think Adrian's going to be worth his contract. In fact, he he hasn't hit an opposite field home run since he's been a Dodger. Um, he's really changed his game, and I don't think he's going to necessarily be the same guy that we we got to know him as being going forward. You know, Crawford is not going to be worth the money. Um, if they can afford to basically live with lower expectations, then I guess it works. But I don't think it's it's a model that's all that conducive. I mean, when the Yankees were spending so much money, they were spending it on the best players out there. And guys who, were, even if the back end of the contract was going to be rough, the first three years were, were supposed to be great. I feel like the Dodgers are picking up other guys' mistakes, and some of those will work, some of those will not. Um, so they really have to be able to absorb some some pretty poor, dismal performances. Okay,
3: so now that you have trashed Pakota's projection for the Dodgers, (laughs) uh, give us us your own. And keep in mind that you have an easier job here than every other guest has had because the Dodgers have already played two games. So you really only have to project 160 if (laughs) they play the rest of the schedule. There could be a rainout. So uh, tell us how many games they will win, keeping in mind that they have already won two.
2: Yeah, that's right. They are on pace for 100% winning percentage. That's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Um, I have them for 91. I I, I know it's quite a bit below Pocota, but I just, I I can't get past all the potential downfalls. And I I think they're going to be challenged in their division. Um, It's not the strongest division in the league, but I think the Giants can be a little bit better than people expect. And actually, Pocota is all over the Giants, so I shouldn't really, (laughs) I shouldn't knock them. But I, I think the Dodgers will win the division, but I see 91 victories.
3: All right, uh, so that is that. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, guys. Uh, so everyone, you can follow Doug on Twitter at Doug underscore Thorburn. You can read his Raising Aces column at BP, where he breaks down pitcher mechanics. Uh, you can listen to him and Paul Sporer on the, the Tinstat podcast. And you, people can read your book that you co-wrote with Tom House uh, called Arm Action, Arm Path, and the Perfect Pitch, Building a Million Dollar Arm. Uh, so thank you for joining us, Doug. Uh, hey, Doug.
1: Doug. Yeah. Do you have play index by baseball reference?
3: Of course I do. Excellent. <laughs> and what, what was the coupon code that you used to subscribe, I, do you recall? I used the coupon code BP.
2: It saved uh-huh. me six bucks.
3: Uh-huh. And therefore, the, the subscription was only
2: $30 for you. Exactly. And uh, that I can't live without that one. Come on. <laughs> oh,
3: okay. Well, other people can also get on in that. Uh, all right. So thank you for listening to these preview shows. If you like them, if you found them helpful – rate and review us on itunes shower us with praise uh but they are not quite over yet because right now nick will talk to dylan hernandez
4: welcome to drop third strike i'm nick Wheatley shaller and i'll be interviewing beat writers columnists and broadcasters from around the country getting their perspective on the teams they cover i'm here with dylan hernandez of the la times how's it going dylan
0: i'm doing great thanks so much for having
4: me on you recently got back from the opening series in sydney what was that experience like
0: uh, it was weird. You know, everything just felt really rushed, I think, just even from the time uh, leaving camp. You know, we got to camp early, and, you know, the next thing you know, you're having to pack and just kind of get all your luggage on the plane and stuff. Uh, you know, that said, once we got there, uh, obviously Sydney's a beautiful city. I'd never been there before. Uh, you know, and I think that even some of the players that maybe didn't quite want to be there, uh, you know, once kind of surrounded by these novel surroundings, uh, you know, I think maybe started to take to the experience a little bit. Uh, you know, the venue itself, the Sydney Cricket Ground, uh, they did a really impressive job there of uh, renovating that kind of and, and turning it into a baseball field, uh, Field, you know, and uh, you know, they kept the old grandstands there that kind of, you know, re- remind you a little bit maybe of Churchill Downs. Uh, so, you know, I think all in all, it was a pretty neat experience, uh, you know, uh, both for the players that were there and uh, anyone else that uh, went along for the trip.
4: How was the reception from the Australians? Do you think that the opening series does a good job of getting international fans excited about baseball?
0: Uh, you know, the feel that I got more was that, uh, you know, there, there still is this feel, I think, there that, that you know, that Americans kind of dictate culture, um, you know. And so, you know, I think they kind of viewed it as, well, the Americans like this, and this is kind of the best of what they like, so we should give it a look. You know, that said, I really didn't get the sense that anyone, you know, I asked kind of, you know, randomly at bars or, you know, in the I asked people, you know who Clayton Kershaw is, and no one knew. You know, um, as far as the game itself, I, I, I find it really hard to imagine, uh, you know, that anyone is really going to just, you know, kind of star-wrecking baseball all of a sudden because of these two games. I, think, you know, it is, I don't think two games is enough really to pick up on the nuances of things. You know, they do have cricket. Um, You know, and I, I kind of feel also that, you know, a lot of baseball is just part of our culture. We, we like the history of it. We grew up with it. You know, but if you strip all that and kind of present the game itself, you know, if we're going to be honest about it, it's a pretty slow-moving game. It's not like basketball that, you know, is kind of, uh, you know, very viscerally is appealing. You know, and I think, you know, basketball could be kind of attributed to the fact that it's really easy to watch, kind of see it's fun. Uh, you know, for baseball, it's kind of more a slow-paced type thing. You know, now that said, you know, talking to the NLB people, I think one thing that they really liked was the fact that, you know, how Australians, they were really, uh, you know, uh, almost shocked by how much these players made. Uh, Every reference to Clayton Kershaw was $215 million pitcher, Clayton Kershaw. Or, you know, even if it was Andre Ethier, they would describe him as $15 million slugger, Andre Ethier. Uh, And I think that this is really hard for them to kind of grasp. You know, I know that... uh, Uh, I guess right before we got there, there was an Australian uh, Aussie rules football player who signed a 10 year contract for $10 million. And that was almost scandalous. You know, oh my God, how, what's he going to do with all that money? Uh, You know, and I think that baseball's hope is that, you know, some talented athletes will say, oh my God, you know, I I can, I have a chance to make $200 million if I play baseball. Um, You know, and I think that that's the biggest edge that baseball has maybe over some of the other sports in Australia and I think baseball kind of hoping that maybe, you know, because of that, uh, it can lure some of the talent that would ordinarily go into sports like rugby or, uh, you know, off the football and, and get them into baseball.
4: Alex Guerrero, who the Dodgers signed out of Cuba this offseason, will start the season at AAA. The Dodgers are going to go with a platoon of Dee Gordon and Justin Turner at second base. When do you see, expect to see Guerrero in the majors and how much will the performance of Gordon and Turner affect that decision?
0: I think, yeah, I mean, it's going to affect it a lot. You know, I think if Gordon, Gordonville has been kind of one of these high-ceiling guys. Uh, You know, I I think he's the type of guy that you figure, you know, if he hits, you know, 270 and has, like, a decent on-base percentage, he's going to be a really dangerous type of guy just because of his speed. Uh, You know, he's probably one of the fastest guys in baseball. I think, ideally, they would like Gordon to be that everyday guy, at least kind of in the short term, you know. Um, now that said we've, we've kind of seen this before you know a couple of years ago he was the opening day shortstop and I believe in the you know maybe the second game of the season I think he stole a couple of bases scored a couple of runs and you're thinking oh like you know hey he looks like the next Ricky Henderson you know and it obviously didn't quite turn out that way um, you know my feeling with Guerrero is that we're going to kind of see it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching throughout the year you know I mean uh, you know, I, I'm not going to even pretend to not be kind of biased here. I think everybody who knows D. Gordon is point for D. Gordon. You know, he's he a kid who obviously, you know, he overcame a lot. Uh, his, you know, his mother uh, was murdered when he was very young. And despite that, he has an extremely positive outlook of life. Uh, you know, one of these kids with always a smile on his face. He's the type of guy you're pulling for. But I think, you know, realistically, I mean, again, we've seen this before um, where we kind of get excited about Gordon. It doesn't quite work out. That's my. I'm guessing we're going to see some Gordon in there. You know, they'll kind of mix in Turner. I'm guessing at some point we'll see Sean Sigens in there. Uh, you know, Miguel Rojas, even uh, kind of the uh, you know the all glove no bat guy that they had up in camp uh, this year. Uh, you know, and at some point I think it's just going to kind of fall to Guerrero as they kind of cycle through the various options. Um, you know, I'm not so sure that Guerrero is a player they thought uh, that he would be necessarily. You know, I'm not so sure. Um, even with time that they think that, you know, that he's going to eventually become like the all-star caliber player that they initially thought he was going to be when they first signed him. Uh, You know, honestly, to me, he looks fine. (laughs) You know, that said, I'm not a scout or anything, Uh, but people that seem to kind of know what they're talking about don't seem to be all that encouraged, uh, you know, in terms of upside there. Uh, You know, that said, he seems like he's a competent professional. So again, I'm guessing we'll see him want to kind of cycle through the various options.
4: The one question about Guerrero is whether or not he'd be able to handle second base. How did his fielding look out there during spring training?
0: You know, at the beginning it was rough. I mean, even just kind of in drills, when you're just kind of out there, you're noticing he's bobbling balls and stuff. But uh, you know, as camp went on, I think he got better. Uh, you know, I, I'm still not so. You know, the one thing I heard was just kind of that, that first step might not be there. You know, again, just, just kind of looking at it from some, you know, from my vantage point, he kind of he looked fine to me as camp went on. Uh, you know, one thing that they like for sure is his work ethic. The fact that you know he's one of the first players there all the time. Uh, you know, he seems to kind of understand the responsibility of being a professional athlete. And I think from that standpoint, really, you didn't get many complaints from the organization. Uh, you know, that's it. Again, you know, I, I think there, there there are some questions again, just kind of about uh, you know maybe that initial step and also just kind of in general, you know, the the range there. You know, and even the bat, I think is is a bit of a question mark too so you know i'm i think you know that said i mean we have to keep in mind too this guy went about a year not playing baseball in cuba you know so it could just be a, a matter of him you know kind of just iron, ironing things out and uh, you know just getting comfortable here
4: hanley ramirez had a pretty incredible season last year when he wasn't injured this is the last year of his contract so if he stays healthy he could command quite an asking price in, uh, as a free agent if he has another season even close to as good as he was last year, how aggressive are the Dodgers going to be in pursuing him after the season?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I think that they're going to be really aggressive just because of what he means to the offense. We saw in the NLCS last year, he went down and kind of completely changed the dynamic of that offense. You know, you're, you're looking at, even though they have a lot of big names uh, in that lineup, you know, Adrian Gonzalez maybe doesn't quite have the power that he did, you know, when he was in San Diego. Uh, you know, Andre East, your power kind of in decline. Matt Kemp, we're not really sure uh, what we have there at this point. You know, and, and you know, as far as Puig goes, I mean, Puig, the power is there, but we're not really so sure if he's going to be able to adjust and hit that inside fastball, which he really hasn't been able to show the ability to. Uh, you know, so Hanley really, you know, you look at it, at least the way the team was last year, the offense was really built around Hanley Ramirez and, you know, you lose him, the the offense changes completely. So my guess is that if, yeah, if he's reasonably healthy this year and he has a similar, maybe, you know, I mean, I think it's impossible for a to kid to be fixed over the course of an entire season. But, you know, if he, if he you know, does the 290, 30-whole-month type thing, yeah, I'm guessing they're going to be extremely aggressive just because of what he means to that offense.
4: You mentioned Puig having problems with that inside fastball. He had a really fantastic start to the season last year, but then uh, had some trouble making adjustments as pitchers started to figure him out. What has he done to address uh, the deficiencies that became apparent in September?
0: You know, I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, I mean, I think he's very cognizant of it. We saw him, you know, as the season went on last year, he tried backing off the plate a little bit, but then it just led to, you know, then just going outside, outside, outside the whole time, and all of a sudden he couldn't reach that pitch and, uh, you know, really kind of extend his arms out the way he liked to. Uh, you know, it, 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 this could be kind of difficult. At least one scout that I've talked to thinks that this is, you know, not just a mental thing, but also just that he's physically because of the way his swing is uh, and because he kind of has – he's a bit tight, uh, you know, in his posture and everything, that, that may be a pitch that he physically can't get around to hitting. Uh, you know, so, again, we're going to see, you know, even last year, I mean, we, we're still talking about a relatively small sample size here. Uh, you know, spring training obviously wasn't very good uh, this triple I think he had like 120 or something. Um, you know, he, you get the feeling he's going to be the type of guy that hits mistakes, regardless. So, you know, I think no matter what, I mean, you're looking at anywhere from like an 18 to 25 home run type guy. Uh, you know, obviously the big difference with him is if, you know, he's, say, if he's a, say a 230 hitter or a 300 type hitter. When like we saw last year, you know, he hit 300, got on base, obviously his speed is a huge asset. Um, you know, so yeah, I think it's good. it's going to be kind of interesting. I'm, I'm guessing it's, we're not just going to get like one flat answer from the beginning. It's, we're going to see some ups and downs. Uh, you know, defensively, he obviously brings some. You know, he's got a lot of tools. So I think he's always going to be kind of in the mix there. I don't think we're going to see him, you know, getting optioned down to Albuquerque anytime soon if he struggles because he brings a lot of things to the table. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really really interesting year for him this year.
4: After his incredible 2011 season, it's been tough watching Matt Kemp struggle through the past couple uh, seasons with injuries and ineffectiveness. This offseason, he had surgery on both his ankle and his shoulder, uh, so he should be fully recovered by now. Um, from what you've seen this spring, what are the chances that the Dodgers get to see a vintage Matt Kemp this year?
0: You know, that's, uh, that's kind of a good question there. You know, the one thing he says is that he can kind of get the extension now on his, uh, you know, on that, on that left shoulder that he can really kind of follow through uh, whereas last year he felt he kind of had to cut his swing off a little bit, so that's obviously encouraging. Uh, you know because uh, you know he took care of the shoulder, he was able to uh, you know do his off season uh, you know his normal weightlifting program that he did in the past. Last year he couldn't do that because so he really kind of showed up to camp really kind of skinny last year. You almost got the sense you know well, the moment that you saw him, okay he's going to have trouble hitting for power. Uh, you know, the one thing that I, that I kind of wonder is if, uh, you know, does he have enough, like, lower body strength at this point? You know, he hasn't, um, obviously, the first, I don't know, month or so of camp, he didn't run at all. He really just kind of recently started running. Uh, you know, and with camp, I mean, it's a, it's a whole body type thing, obviously, you know, where, uh, you know, last year, you kind of got the sense, legs are fine, upstairs wasn't. Uh, you know, this year, you might get the sense a little bit, okay, he's solid upstairs, but how's he doing, you know, downstairs, how are the legs? Um, you know, I'm, again, I'm guessing with him it's going to be kind of a process of him you know, kind of gradually maybe working his way back into shape there. I think, uh, you know, the team would be pleased, if by the all-star breakers so if they start seeing, uh, you know, vintage Matt Kemp.
4: When Kemp, Crawford, and Puig are all healthy, Andre Ethier becomes a very expensive, if effective, fourth outfielder. If those three guys don't get hurt, what will his role be? Uh,
0: you know, I'm guessing we're going to see... I think it's going to be a lot of matchup-based type stuff. You know, I think as it is, you'll see with, uh, with Don Mattingly, he does a pretty good job of, like, mixing in his reserve to begin with. You know, and you don't you rarely see guys go, say, like an entire week without playing, no matter who they are. Uh, you know, I'm guessing, like, in the case of a guy like, uh, you know, whether it's easier or Crawford or Puig or Kemp or whoever is kind of designated the designated fourth guy, uh, they're going to be in there quite a bit. You know, my, my feel is that uh, a lot of it's going to be dictated by matchups, you know, both Kemp. Uh, I'm sorry, both uh, Crawford and Ethier, uh, you know, have had trouble hitting lefties. So, you know, my guess is that if it's a lefty pitcher you're going to see, you're more than likely to see, you know, Kemp and Puig in there more often than not. And, uh, you know, conversely, if there's if it's a tough righty there, kind of depending on, uh, you know, who's struggling between Kemp and Puig, I could, I could see those, that guy sitting. And, uh, you know, then going with Crawford and Ethier on those days. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be anything type of set type of thing where all of a sudden, okay, you're the fourth guy, you're not going to play at all. My guess is that you're going to see all four guys, uh, you know, kind of uh, in the mix there.
4: How is Ether's approach different um, when he knows that he's not going to be a starting player going into the season?
5: Uh, well, I, you know, as of right now, uh, you know, there's no guarantee. You know, at this point, I don't think the, the feeling is that, like, okay, we might get this back necessarily you know, even though they're talking about, you know, okay, well, he might be ready next week, uh, you know, we still don't know. And so I think that, that still feels like a big question mark. You know, you, will he be back? How is the ankle going to hold up? Uh, if he does make it back, how effectively he? You know, at this point, the feel is that Andre he is the starting center field around this team. Uh, now, that said, you know, just been talking to me here, I mean, he's aware of, you know, the various things that could happen, and I think he's preparing himself on the various scenarios uh, you know, and I think he feels that his value, that the particular value that he could play is the fact that he could play all three off field positions. You know, I'm not sure there's another player, uh, you know, of that group of four guys where that we would trust in all three positions. You know, I, I please, obviously, have the physical capabilities of playing center field, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, anytime he's a center, <laughs> there might be a chance that he'll crash into one of the corner off-field guys, you know, one of the balls there. So I think, you know, for now, I think that's something that we want to avoid. The profit on the field, and that was made as far as so I think, you know, you're kind of looking at him uh, in left. And, uh, you know, Kemp, just because uh, I think he's kind of built this identity of himself as being a center field type guy, most likely he's just going to be a center fielder uh, So, you know, I think it would be easier. You know, really, because now he comes to the first ability. I think he's aware of that. And it's uh, something, you know, just kind of talking he of he's become kind of proud of now. The fact that he's, you know, it's kind of interesting because you look at him early in his career, he was kind of, you know, and maybe he still is offensively kind of a streaky type guy. Uh, you know, whereas now he's kind of become the more mature guy that can kind of be relied off to do anything.
4: What's the most important part of their starting rotation? Is it the strength at the top with Kershaw and Greinke, in the middle with Ryu and Heron, or at the back of the rotation with Beckett, Billingsley, and Mihaly? Uh,
0: You know, I think it's kind, of, hmm, it's kind of an interesting question. You know, I think it, at any, obviously, if any of those guys go down, I mean, you know, you're kind of looking at trouble for various reasons. Uh, you know, that said, I think, you know, you kind of look at Kershaw and Granke as being pretty much locked to do what they're supposed to do. I don't think there's really any concern there. You know, to me, when I look at this rotation, uh, to me, Ryu is kind of the guy that's going to determine. You know, is this just a very good rotation or is this a great rotation? You know, uh, last year, towards the end of the, you know, maybe not at the end, end because you know you kind of started to say, but as he, as he, as Ryu got comfortable, uh, you know, you got the sense that he was closer to being a one or a two uh, than he was to being a four or a five. You know, and all of a sudden, if you add you know, basically a third top-of-the-location-caliber guy to a group that already includes Kershaw and Granke, uh, that makes it pretty hard to beat, especially in the playoffs. You know, I think, um, you know, the Dodgers, one of the reasons they went out and got Granky a couple of years ago, you know, was with the playoffs in mind. You know, they thought, okay, well, we already got our horse in Kershaw. You know, now you have Granky. all of a sudden, right, four of the seven games in a particular series will be pitched by either of those guys. Now, all of a sudden, you, you know, if, if Ryu uh, can manage to kind of offset, Uh, you know, maybe some of the regression that might be uh, expected in a second year, given that, you know, opposing hitters are familiar with him now. Uh, If he can kind of combat that and maybe, you know, make adjustments accordingly uh, and be that one or two type guy, uh, yeah, then all of a sudden, I think you're looking at a great rotation. So to me, kind of Ryu is is the most interesting one to look at there because, uh, you know, and also Ryu kind of gives you some margin for error too. Uh, You know, say if, uh, you know, a Granky or a, you know, Granky last year, you know, I know that was kind of a freak accident where he got, you know, where, where he fractured his collarbone there. But, you know, if, if Kershaw or, uh, or uh, you know, Granke for whatever reason have to miss some time, uh, you know, if we use pitching, again, like a one or a two, I think that's much more uh, stunkable. You know, that's, that's, you, can, you can withstand that as opposed to if, if we look like a four or a five.
4: All right. Well, that's all I have for you today, Dylan. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Thank you so much for having me on. That was Dylan Hernandez of the LA times. You can read Dylan at latimescom slash sports, or follow him on Twitter at Dylan Hernandez. And that's it for this year's season previews. Thanks so much for listening. It's been a total blast doing these. I hope I was able to provide some decent discussion. Ben and Sam were not an easy act to follow, and I'm really looking forward to doing some more work for BP. You can follow me on Twitter at neastws If you want to see what I'm up to or send me a message and, uh, Make sure to tune in for tomorrow's listener email show. Uh, everyone have a great season, and thanks again for listening. I I have to think of some things real. Quick. <laughs> what are you gonna
1: What are you gonna ask about the Dodgers? Oh, thought of one. <laughs>
3: you should announce when you think of one during the show.
1: Do <laughs> <laughs> you know anything about like their international signings?
2: I do feel that that's a competitive advantage for them. That's one area where they can still you know, flex their financial muscles, so to speak. Perfect. You don't stop. <laughs> well, and I feel like there is definitely something to explain as far as uh, it's just such an outlier. I mean, 99 wins from Bacota. I mean, every, everything else. Yeah, yeah, quiet,
1: quiet. Doug. Doug. Doug, <laughs> Doug save, it, save it, sweet thing. Save it. Okay. This is it. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of scary we could just do it again we could just <laughs> do just this on the air, like update on every team every month
3: huh that's not a bad
4: idea it's not the worst idea. <laughs> probably not no